Welcome to the Teaching in Tech podcast with Alan and Chad. This podcast was developed with teachers in mind. We are so happy to have you joining us as we launch this podcast, where we'll dive into everything related to teaching, learning, and technology integration. Our goal is to inspire passion in teachers by discussing strategies and activities that have been successful in the classroom, along with ways to integrate technology for maximum student engagement. In each episode, we want to look at things teachers are doing that are working, detailing teaching strategies and technology integration ideas. Also, special guests will join us to share their own strategies that have been successful with their learners. So, I'm Alan Brown, now a curriculum specialist here in Canton City. Uh, math teacher, math department chair, I've taught freshmen, sophomores, algebra, geometry. Uh, I've been a literacy coach at McKinley High School and so a little bit, a little wide range here of, of different things I've had my, you know, experience with. And I'm Chad Hoffman. I uh, currently am working as a technology resource teacher at McKinley High School. Uh, this is my 24th year in education. Most of the time uh, of those 24 years was spent in the middle school classroom. Uh, I've taught many, many years of middle school science, uh, but I've also taught uh, language arts. I've taught uh, math for a couple of years and I even actually uh, did my student teaching in a middle school social studies class so I've got a pretty good uh, viewpoint of all the different content areas and uh, throughout that time that I was teaching middle school uh, technology has always been a big part of my day-to-day classroom routines and my instructional strategies and so uh, when we opened up these technology resource positions in, in our school district it was a natural fit and a natural place for me to move over where now I get a chance to work with uh, teachers and helping them with technology integration and I also do a lot of work with students helping them use their devices and uh, making sure that they're able to effectively learn and use their technology as a tool to help them with that. So Alan, I don't know if you've noticed but uh, in the last couple of years teaching hasn't been getting any easier for those who work in the classroom. Uh, that's no lie especially with everything going on you know I think When COVID hit here, 2020, you know, the world really came crashing down as far as what education looks like. Obviously, everything was impacted, but really teaching in general was just decimated in in our realm of how to present information, how to engage students, how to uh, show that they're gaining something to prepare them for real life when real life was nothing we could prepare for at that time. Boy, that's isn't that the truth? And really, you think about that even in that period of March of 2020, where we went from basically a traditional school environment to suddenly then a a period of time where we were away from the students and trying to regroup and figure out a plan to then trying to integrate a virtual learning environment halfway through, uh, you know, a quarantine period. Uh, It definitely was a challenge. And then even with some of the things coming back from that the following year with hybrid learning environments, with virtual learning environments, uh, definitely a lot of, of brand new things in a very short amount of time that teachers were trying to kind of learn on the fly. And now I'm sitting there thinking we got all these new teachers that are coming into our our particular district this year and this is probably the most you know air quotes normal uh, it's been in that amount of time and we're almost moving forward as if you know we're we're past this COVID era Um, and, and I look at the things that we're being expected to address as we did in 2019 you know you we're now back to testing as we normally would which puts that pressure back on students and teachers Uh, attendance trying to get kids back into school after we just told them to stay home for two years 
I mean, we, what are we doing here? It's it, the amount of challenges that have just been mounted onto the teachers is, is just, it's amazing. Yeah, that you talk about that attendance part. It really is. It's, it's an interesting thing because when you look at for an adult, and we've had a lot of experience to go by leading up to that, COVID was a very different experience for us because throughout our professional careers, there's never been a long period of time where we were asked to either stay home or work from home. And so when you look at a student who doesn't have that you know, experience to draw on of all the time that they did things in a way that was quote unquote normal, um, this is just kind of part of their educational experience of you know, being asked to learn from home or not come to school for a long period of time. So getting them back in the mindset of being at school every day, being on time and being in a structured routine, you know, we certainly saw some growing pains last year trying to get everybody back in that routine. And um, so hopefully as we move forward, we can start to get back to where uh, our, our new normal uh, is what we would consider a little bit more normal. And uh, the other thing, too, when you think about the idea of technology, you know, when we left for that quarantine period in 2020, um, at that point, a lot of districts weren't even one-to-one -one with devices yet. So trying to come up with some type of virtual learning environment was really a challenge because uh, even in our particular school district, uh, we had a lot of devices available, but we had to actually contact families and find out who had devices and who didn't and try to get uh, devices signed out and taken out to the homes by some of our student resource uh, people. So, um, you know, the technology was definitely a... Uh, a big change there too. But the one thing that did happen coming through that, we realized that uh, even though technology isn't perfect, there's a lot of things that technology, we, we saw that without that, we wouldn't have stayed connected with our students. So the fact that we could use, you know, the video conferencing and some of the other things where students could work from, work from home, um, you know, that definitely shows that technology has, has a lot of value and a lot of things that it can add to education uh, in spite of some of the, the difficulties that it brings. Yeah, I, when you're saying that, I, I'm sitting here thinking uh, all these districts that are now saying, well, we have to bring in one-to-one, -one, we have to make sure students have iPads or Chromebooks, or we sat and I was telling you about Columbus City and how they decided to revamp their whole tech department and, and expand. And it's not because, you know, we're preparing or being proactive for another pandemic, but we're being reactive to see, wow, what deficits were there in the case of uh, having to miss school, but now also saying, wow, these were a lot of benefits. Like you just said, you know, the, the ability to always have access to this information to explore learning in different ways. Um, I mean, technology is, is limitless in, in that regard if it's used appropriately and correctly. Yeah, and, and we really, the, in our district, we're really fortunate because, you know, with the way that we're set up where we're one-to-one -one with students using iPads, uh, along with a keyboard case, you know, they have a device that really is a two-in-one where they can uh, work with a keyboard and at the same time use a touch screen. And then uh, teachers who have the opportunity both having a laptop computer and an, and an iPad along with digital uh, signage in all of our classrooms where they can project to a monitor on the wall. Um, you know, we really do have a nice, uh, a nice selection of technology and that really does make a big difference as far as the opportunities for teachers. You know, and so this, this in my mind brings me to our theme and my theme that I really wanted to focus on for today was, you know, this student engagement and ownership. And I think technology lends itself to that ability of getting students engaged in the content and taking ownership of it themselves uh, when they have that ability for self-exploration or the input. Um, and always being able to engage with a learning opportunity where in the past it may have been, here's a worksheet or you are going to engage in something that I'm presenting at the front of the board or what I write on a chalkboard, where now it's always this uh, morphological type 
classroom that I am always changing and moving and growing uh, in my own way. Yeah, I mean, the more that we can move away from that sit and get uh, method, and not to say that there isn't value in a teacher taking the knowledge that they have and directly instructing kids, um, you know, in that, it's just really a matter of trying to do that in shorter segments uh, to be able to keep kids as far as their attention span and keep kids motivated. Well, and, and I think when, and I touched on this just, you know, a minute ago, but having that student engagement piece where they feel like they are, a partner in their education rather than the subject of their education. Um, you know, students come in and if they feel like what they say matters, they will naturally become invested in that work. Uh, you know, I, I'm pulling on my past experience here and, and from day one, I'd have students come in and you know, you already have your structure as a teacher. This is what I, my syllabus of what I'm gonna do for the year. I you know, generally say, this is what I'm gonna tolerate as a teacher in my classroom to prepare these kids to be professionals. But I would always start on day one, what do these students expect of me and what do they expect of each other to come in here and be successful? And you know, it's amazing because the list, as, as they start to throw out, you know, uh, I, want, I want it to be a nice, I want us to uh, respect each other. I want it to be a nice learning environment. I need it to be quiet. These are all generally things that we as, as educators would put on a rule list on the front of our board. But the fact that I wouldn't have that board up yet and I'd let kids say it, it just reaffirmed their idea of what a classroom should look like. Yeah. Uh, you know, and as you say that, it makes me think a little bit from the technology side. Uh, pretty much any teacher is going to start the year with some type of rules, expectations, and procedures. And so if we're looking at that kind of situation, that's a great chance to involve some technology so that some of the skills that you're going to use with your content later in the year, you can be working on those right from the beginning. So when you talk about your rules and expectations discussion, uh, instead of just listing that on a whiteboard or listing that maybe on a, a piece of chart paper to make an anchor chart, uh, why not consider in that uh, instance using some type of collaborative document to have the kids work together and add those things? You know, in, in our district, we use the Google uh, Workspace apps uh, quite often. That's a great opportunity to teach kids about permissions and sharing settings so that everybody can edit the same document and maybe even create a jam board whereas kids are uh, you know talking about those expectations they have they're adding post-it notes on there with their expectations and then as a class you can work on putting those into groups and uh, manipulating what's been put on the jam board uh, and then you've got a digital uh, a digital uh, project that you've captured there that can be added to your uh, learning management system or a teacher website and shared with students that way and then, like you said, it's always accessible. They feel like uh, they're just as involved in that creation process. Um, and, and this is kind of where then I would stem into different conversations about beyond what the expectations are of each other and myself. But, you know, what, what do they hope to gain as a student? I, I think a lot of times we have it in our mind of we have so many, many hats that we have to have and, and we lose the track of why are we in this in the first place? You know, I, I was passionate about math. I love the content. I love the exploration of uh, diving into that, that material and then trying to share that with my kids, but I have to be able to present that in a way that means something to them. Uh, and so I would take that input, you know, on day two, what, what are ways that you would learn? Um, you know, some kids, believe it or not, actually do like, I'd like you to present information and show it to me. 
I, I yeah, there are definitely kids who do enjoy that. Oh yeah, and it, it's amazing because you know we always hear you got to you got to have fun, you got to do these activities. But I would have kids that would sit there and go, no, I'd much rather you show me how to do it. I practice it. Very yeah. traditional model. And if you've been in the classroom for any period of time, we all know as teachers that kids do want structure whether or not they admit to it or whether they might not ask for it, but they do want a certain type of structure and know what to expect. That's for sure. Right. And some of it could be a looser structure, but that routine that you're talking about, I mean, they come in and they know exactly what's being done that day. It's when you start just every day's a, you know, a, a free for all. That's, that's where I think we, we lose that engagement, but, but then, you know, just having that input on, I, I prefer this method and then I'd couple that with my learning style inventory. And, and I really have a good idea at the beginning of the year of how I can approach my specific classes on their needs and wants, you know, as a student. Yeah. Well, you know, a project that we worked on together last year, which I think was really a, a good integration of technology here, um, you know, for experienced teachers, a learning style inventory is nothing new. Uh, and, you know, you and I even probably going back to the early years in our career, most likely gave students a paper learning style inventory. And you sit there and check it off, give the point values. And right. And, you know, you, it's kind of a nice tool because you do learn a little bit about each student but at the same time with all the things we have to do I don't know if yours was anything like mine where eventually I wasn't able to compile all that data on a, like a bigger level and, and get you know bigger trends out of that so what we worked on last year with learning style inventory if you can set up your specific learning style inventory into a Google form it's a great way to have students fill that out where one you're working on technology routines because most likely you're going to use some data collection later in the year whether it's a Google form or some other tool and then once they input their learning style inventory information into that form, you now have a spreadsheet where you can get some big picture trends on period by period. Uh, you know, how many visual learners do I have? How many auditory learners do I have? And without having to do a, you do the work at the beginning, developing the form. But then over the long term, uh, you're not putting in all that time trying to compile data from, you know, 100 and some papers that you've collected from students. Because we all know at the start of the school year, when we're starting to get ready for developing our routine and then getting into content, nobody really has time for that. Right. It's just a, it's a quick reference at that point. And then generally you can say, all right, I'm going to present it this way. And, you know, sometimes it's easy where I would have classes that are predominantly, uh, you know, they're all visual learners. Okay, I just need to add that piece in there. And they, they liked it that way. But then you'd have um, groups that were a very big mix and then others that, man, I all kinesthetic. And then, you know, it's how do, how do we approach that? Because it, we're very used to the, like you said, sit and get model. I'm going to present you information. You're going to take it. You're going to apply it. And then you're going to regurgitate it. And, and so trying to add in and, and from you know my standpoint of what I always try to do and, and some of the teachers I've worked with try to do is um, adding in alternative assessments or a project-based learning model and, and providing kids now outlets that meet these needs so they can show understanding in a different way you know I, I think the hardest transition as a professional um, is is understanding that it, these kids aren't learning or applying information the same way we did yeah yeah, you know, you brought up project-based learning, and for me, uh, prior to coming to the, the high school that I work at now, I spent some time working at a, a, a STEAM school, and so project-based learning is a big part of a STEAM education, uh, and I think the biggest thing is that when you get into project-based learning, there's two things that are really important there. One is to make sure that you have a really good 
and, and clear focus of how is that project going to tie to your content standards because you don't want to uh, get too loosely um, related to those where you lose focus of your main objective. And two, the other thing with project-based uh, learning is that's another great opportunity to help skid, uh, kids learn their technology skills so that when you continue to move through your content and regardless of what um, you know what it is you're working on in your content, those technology skills that they're going to need, uh, they've had a chance to hone and develop those so that they can focus more on the content in a day-to-day -day routine. You know, I want to I want to touch on that real quick. It just, you know, the first one is I think we when we create projects, like you said, it's making it very intentional with what it ties to. Uh, we, we sometimes when we think of stuff, we're like, man, it's just got to be fun. But at some point, it also has to be engaging and learning. Um, but but then the second piece that you were talking about with uh, you know, relevant technology skills. I think sometimes that's hard too. You know, when we came into professional teaching and or a lot of people for that matter, the technology skills needed today are much different than they were needed then. And so it's trying to figure out like, I don't know what tech skills that the kids will need. So I don't think, I, I may not know what's relevant or what's meaningful to teach them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's almost, you know, you start talking about preparing kids it's like, man, we're, we're trying to prepare them for a world that we came up or lived in. And, you know, we got to prepare them for the world they're coming into. Yeah, there's no doubt. And you, you look at even 15 years ago, um, you would have found very few schools that would have had in the budget for a technology integration specialist or, uh, as my role is titled, technology resource teacher. Uh, and, and in some ways now, it's hard to imagine a building functioning without those, at least someone in that capacity. A lot of buildings based on budget might only have someone doing that part time. I'm very fortunate to be doing that full time. But you're right, the skills are different. I mean, you think about when we go back 10 to 15 years ago, technology wise, uh, logins and uh, collaboration and document sharing wasn't even really a thing yet. And so that's something that students, it's almost kind of considered to be an essential skill to understand, uh, you know, how to log into a variety of platforms and then how to be able to share documents. And even you think about the idea of managing cloud-based cloud storage and being able to find your documents. We have a lot of teachers that have difficulty with that. Yeah. So I'm picturing, uh, you know, the faxes. I'd fax you what I worked on or uh, not being able to find the attachment for an email. And now it's like Google just, is this what you meant? Yeah, sure. That's the one I meant. Yeah. To AI and intelligent suggestions, uh, kind of helping you, you know, get pointed in the right direction. Yeah. I, it, it's just, it's a changing world. Um, and, and I think, you know, this, this idea of kids essentially might know a little bit of something that we don't and, and taking advantage of that. Uh, you know, there's a teacher that I work with, and, and you do too now at this point at the high school, um, that he he integrates a model where he actually relies on, on student knowledge to help him uh, meet other student needs. You know, so he'll focus, it, it's almost like a peer mentoring model. Um, and I think that that's maybe like a, an untapped treasure there you know, in his class, he'll, he'll teach his content, he'll, he'll get them engaged, and then he'll identify students that are all essentially like masters of that area. So they're not always going to be the same kids. But let's say, you know, Chad, you're really good at using the iPad for this lesson, I'm going to tap you as my, my on site, you know, apprentice, and I'm going to post your name in the room. So if I'm busy helping five other students, your peers can come up to you and say, hey, you know what, can you help me with this? Because then they know that you're skilled at that particular topic. 
Yeah. And that's really, I mean, that's a great way to, to give some responsibility to the students and help them to have some uh, recognition for the skills and abilities that they have. And what's great about that is that really works both ways. Um, you know, you, the particular teacher's class that you had talked about before, um, one of the great things about the way he runs that environment, uh, it's a very academic, very collegial type environment. And, uh, you know, he's doing this in, a, in what's more or less an urban-based high school. Uh, and so it's given the kids kind of that, um, just that higher learning type feel in there. And, and this type of peer mentoring thing can work not only for content, so whether you have a student who's really good at writing summaries or synthesizing information, a student who might be really strong in literature, identifying main ideas, some of the skills that they might be working on. But, you know, that also works, as you mentioned, from the technology side as well. Uh, but yeah, when you're using technology, um, if you have students who are strong in that area, the faster when a student gets stuck or has a roadblock with technology, the faster you can get them past that roadblock and get them back on track and working, the faster they're going to become more productive. So peer mentoring in that case, it really is a win-win situation. I think the one key as a teacher, though, when you're looking to use that peer mentoring, not all students are equally uh, interested in helping other, their peers. Mm -hmm. So uh, you really do need to have uh, some conversations with your students to find out how interested that they are in doing that because you might see a student that you see as an untapped resource and they might be uh, content just to focus on their own education. And in some ways, really, I don't think they're uh, necessarily uh, indebted to necessarily um, be a peer mentor unless they're willing to do that. So you, back to the student input piece how that that that's essentially important you know to let them take some ownership and investment right. in what we're doing right you know and and i also think one of the biggest things that i always tried to focus on in math because that was a hated subject every every kid would come in and go i'm bad at math how do you know you're bad at math I have bad me and grade. division don't get along yeah, right they just they don't they don't even they don't even attempt it's because of lack of confidence right. i was good at math till they started putting letters in there <laughs> that's my favorite my favorite's when adults <laughs> tell kids this and i'm like don't reinforce this bad message <laughs> you know it's but but building that confidence and i think any teacher would agree if a kid's confident or willing to try they're naturally going to learn and, you know, one of the highest levels of understanding is being able to teach. And by having a model like that or even starting to implement a model like that, uh, you just you can expand beyond just the uh, traditional model of I'm going to give it, you're going to recall it, we're going to move on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that in my position as a technology resource teacher, uh, one of the things that I really believe in, uh, strongly and I really feel passionate about Teachers have to be a master of the device that their students are using in the classroom. And we're in a position now where a lot of schools are one-to-one. -one. Uh, maybe they use iPads, maybe they use Chromebooks, maybe laptops. Uh, in other cases, for schools that aren't one-to-one, -one, they're most likely going to have some kind of cart setting where they have uh, a cart full of 30 devices and the students are going to be working off those. And if the teacher isn't able to troubleshoot those or if the teacher isn't able to effectively leverage those for the things that you can do with them to enhance the learning experience, students are missing out. Now, obviously with our teaching staff, we have people on all over that spectrum of uh, people who are very comfortable with technology, people who can use it um, in a functional way, but they don't want to go much beyond that. And then people who will flat out tell you that I don't, I'm not very comfortable with this and I, I really don't use technology very often. And um, for example, with our, our school being one-to-one -one with iPads, um, in my opinion, that it, uh, it, if that's the device students are using, the teacher should be modeling all the instruction using that same device. 
And one of the things I hear from teachers um, somewhat frequently, oh, I got to check my drawer here. Where did I put that iPad? Or, you know, I haven't used this iPad in a couple months. And to me, you're really losing out on some opportunities to give the students, and we talked about those learning styles, a good visual of what it is you're trying to model or show them. And so if you're, if you're losing out on that visual representation in the modeling portion, when you start to act, ask them to move on and practice on their own, uh, they might not be as confident as they could have been. Uh, but I just have, there's a few things I thought I'd bring up. You know, as far as the beginning of the year goes, something that pretty much all teachers use uh, is either a daily agenda for their class or some type of announcements at the beginning of the period. Uh, I know that's something that I did, and I'm kind of a list or an outline guy, so you go back to the beginning beginning of my career, and it was Roman numerals. Usually I had four or five things on there, and I'd put them on the chalkboard, you know, back at the beginning of my career, and the kids would walk in some days and go, they'd look at it and say, Mr. Hoffman, you know we're not going to get through all that stuff. And I'd have to say, well, you know, I always have high, high hopes for you guys and, and big goals and aspirations, but you're right, we're probably not going to make it through all five of those. Uh, but, you know, as time has changed and we don't really use chalkboards at all for, for the most part anymore, maybe a little bit sometimes in some rooms, but um, – and then we went to whiteboards, and those have kind of phased out, and then smart boards, and now a lot of schools are using just the, the monitors and the digital signage. So we've got the opportunity to put something that's very visually appealing uh, and, and it'll catch the students' attention as far as, you know, making announcements each day. But I would say something to think about if you haven't done this already is using, whether it's using um, Google Slides or a Keynote or something like that, um, to put together your daily agenda but then group those together by week. And, you know, it's as simple as having a template with, with up to five days in it for a five-day week. And then when you finish that week, um, whether you have a teacher website or with your learning management system in our district, we use Google Classroom, you know, you can archive all those former uh, agendas and think about when students are absent, they can go back and look at any given day and see what it is they missed or what you were working on. Uh, and it kind of helps to keep things uh, not only in order for you as you're teaching the class, uh, but also for the students to have a resource where there's an archive of uh, past classes and what you ac actually worked on and what you actually did. And I've even had in different situations in the middle school where I've used that where a student will come in and say, well, hey, we didn't, we didn't work on that last week. And I can pull up an agenda and say, well, no, look, this is what we did last Thursday. And uh, here's the things we worked on. You know, a lot of teachers throughout the pandemic um, using the, uh, the Bitmojis from the Bitmoji uh, extension that they've added to Chrome or if they have the Bitmoji app on their phone, you know, a lot of teachers started using those, and they're fun for kids because it's kind of a cartoon-based environment. Uh, but, you know, whether it's, uh, whether it's using Bitmojis, some teachers have, uh, have done a virtual classroom where they actually take a, take a picture or an image of the classroom and then turn that into a background and put different live links on there and different things like that. Uh, you know, those are good ways just to use that technology for your basic processes because then you can say, if you've got that posted on your website, posted on your uh, Google Classroom, your learning management system, you can say, hey, if you need the link to this website we use all the time, you know, check the virtual classroom. Well, it's easily editable. It's easily accessible. I mean, you can recycle everything through technology. It's just I mean, honestly, it is much more convenient in those natures of designing and building and implementing your systems. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the other things, too, that I think is really important at the beginning of the school year, if you have, uh, if you have certain resources that you know you're going to use all the time, whether it's a web-based te uh, textbook that's digital, uh, whether it's a a certain site like Nearpod or ClassKick, and you know we're working uh, with an iPad, so 
Um, you know, a lot of that's app-based, but because of storage space, we don't download all those apps on our devices. So early in the year, it's nice to teach the kids, how can I make home screen shortcuts uh, on the iPad? So even if my district doesn't load certain uh, sites that have an app version on the iPad, you can go right to Safari and then making a home screen shortcut. Uh, you can put that icon on your home screen and students can easily access it. That's something that can even be done with a classroom website. And, uh, you know, if you're not a, an iPad district, then it's a little bit different process. If you're working off Chromebook or you're working off a laptop, then it's more of an idea of doing like a, a tour of some of the resources and the sites that you're going to use, making sure that kids get some practice logging in, and then bookmarking and, and organizing bookmarks for the things that they're going to frequently visit. I mean, it really, it, it comes down to you're almost going to need <clears throat> to teach the kids how to use the tech before you use the tech. Yeah. Uh, and I think that'll come with a comfort level from a teacher standpoint, too. You know, um, with everything that's gone on, I think we kind of revert back to what uh, we were used to doing because it was consistent and safe. Uh, but just as we've asked students to take chances and risk coming into the class, you know, it's one of those things that we just have to kind of jump and, and, and hope that, uh, you know, we can kind of navigate our way. But, you know, really, that's what you and your department's for at that point is to help teachers navigate through this. Yeah, that's exactly what I do is provide that support. And, you know, I think you, you brought up the word you brought up there as far as taking a risk. I think that's one thing that does hold a lot of teachers back is they're really afraid of uh, if I don't remember the process or the order of, of how to do a certain thing with my with my device, I don't want to stand up front of the class and embarrass myself, you know, or I don't want to not have answers to their questions. And really at this point, I mean, that's becoming really a prerequisite of our job is whatever your device is, is to be able to troubleshoot that and to be able to not only use it yourself effectively, but instruct students. And so, you know, it's really a matter of if, if you're in a position where you're not real comfortable, just taking baby steps and adding a few new things at a time. Um, you know, as we're you know, thinking about students and, and how we can benefit those, another thing to do early in the year, uh, whether you use an iPad or Chromebook, would be to go through the accessibility features. You know, and that's one of the things I love in our district that we're one-to-one -one with iPad. And not that Chromebooks aren't, aren't uh, very effective devices as well, but, you know, some of the things with iPad, you start getting into the accessibility, and that's a big part of how Apple has designed that device. And whether it's, uh, you know, using a screen reader, you think about struggling readers. If you can teach a student early in the year how to use the, the speak selection uh, or the screen reader on an iPad, you're giving them a tool that's going to give them support without an adult having to give that to them, you know, in person. And that's every kid. I mean, we, we know just working with, with students that it could be students that struggle reader or struggling readers, or it could be students advanced readers. There's always words that they're never going to know or mm -hmm. pronounce. And it's like that, that is one tool that can help them phonetically hear what a word sounds like and, and the visual representation. I'm like, that's a simple tool that every class could apply. It's that's universal across all contents. You, you even bring that up teaching kids how to use the dictionary uh, on a device. You know, most in most cases they are able to look up definitions based on you think about the old the old uh, days where like an English language arts teacher might have a cart in the back of the room with a class set of dictionaries. Go grab one, look up the word, figure it out. Right now, if the students and, and the key is, uh, you know, a lot of times we give we give students too much credit with technology. And I hear this from teachers all the time. Oh, they know way more about technology than I do. Well, uh, we know that they know how to use the camera pretty well for taking, <laughs> taking selfies and taking videos. TikTok. We know that, yeah, we know that they know how to find interesting videos on YouTube, whether they want to watch, you know, uh, 
cooking shows or some type of you know simulation life hacks life hacks yeah. yeah but if you're talking about using their device as a productivity tool we really owe it to them to mm -hmm. be able to kind of show them everything that can be that can be um access there and in most cases a lot of students don't know about that full full range of, of accessibility features you know a couple other things um, we've as teachers we've all had kids in our class who you see them looking at the, the board at the front and squinting because they probably should be wearing some type of glasses or eye correction and they're not well on their iPad that's another thing to make it a little more accessible if they change the font settings and that would be another good thing to take the kids through and show them at the beginning of the year uh, zoom features are another thing uh, and you know using a zoom zoom feature whether you're on a Chromebook or an iPad uh, maybe that's a help for a visual impairment but maybe teaching the kids how to use those features to zoom in on the screen it could be helpful depending on your content um, if you're in social studies working with maps or if you're in science working with images of different diagram of a cell or something to that nature where you want to zoom in on the content and actually build that into the instruction to help enhance what you're doing I, mean, I even thought visually impaired when you were saying zoom feature you know i had kids that would pull out the camera you know, obviously preferential seating, I'm going to put you up front, but if they don't, and I'd rather them engage at some point, they'd sit in the back and they could zoom in with the camera on the iPad. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. And once you start to get those, those things built in, you know, the, the iPad, much like smart, other smartphones, that's a device that's used, um, designed to be intuitive. So as the kids start to get those things as part of their routine, uh, eventually they don't even have to think that much about them. And just to mention a couple other things, uh, you know, the assistive touch features uh, that are available on an iPad. Uh, some kids with dexterity have a hard time manipulating a touch screen, but assistive touch gives you a lot of different options where you can really customize that so that uh, every time you're pinching, zooming, tapping on the screen, um, you know, they can get something that suits, the, you know, their... Uh, where they're at in their level. And that's gonna, obviously assistive touch is gonna be a little bit more geared toward a tablet if they're using an iPad or a Surface Pro, uh, not so much toward a Chromebook. And just one last thing to kind of throw out there um, is, you know, and this is something that we're um, adapting to and trying to get better and better at on the fly, but uh, translation features, you know, many of our teachers are working with students that they can't communicate need. with, yeah, in their native language. And for those students who come to school, you know, I really, with, with the technology side, I really have a heart for those kids because I think about a kid who uh, shows up at the beginning of the school day and goes through uh, four 90-minute blocks of classes and doesn't understand anything about what the teacher is saying, I mean, and has a hard time communicating with a large number of their classmates, what a long, depressing day that is. So um, if we can use, leverage and use this technology to help get them first more, you know, able to just function in the classroom by being able to discuss and understand some things, whether it's using an app uh, like Google Translate, whether it's using Apple's translation app that's built in on the iPad, um, but then also to start to become more successful with the academic content, to get more immersed in English and start to understand what some of those terms are uh, in English as well. And so those translation features can really do a lot with that. And one of the things that I think is really cool to teach the kids, you know, if you still do use paper in your classroom, which a lot of teachers do, um, you know, some of the apps now, including Google Translate, they have the lens built right in where you can actually scan that document and using augmented reality, it will translate English oh, wow. on that document into Spanish, which is really an amazing tool. I mean, these are all bridging tools. I, you know, the biggest thing with a growing population of ESL students is trying to figure out how do I support them? You mm -hmm. know, that was a big thing we heard all last year was teachers struggling with, you know, I, I don't know what to do. 
or mm-hmm. I feel bad for them. Like you said, it is depressing to watch them go through the whole day and they they don't feel like they can engage. And from a teacher's standpoint, you know, they're struggling because they mentally feel that way for them and they want to be able to help them engage and they mm-hmm. just don't know how. Uh, you know, so there's like that helpless feeling on both sides. Well, and how great would it be too if you're teaching uh, your students at the beginning of the year and doing like a uh, almost like a gallery walk of accessibility features on your device that you use in your classroom and to teach our, our English speakers how to use those tools as well so that if you did group work, there can be communication in there. And, you know, what a great experience for our students who are, are native to our communities to be able to um, meet people who are coming to our, new to our communities and be able to communicate with them and not just uh, where they're kind of separated in the same classroom. I mean, that's a that's a, a natural learning there. I mean, between both languages, there was a math class I sat in last year that, you know, there was a lot of ESL and English speakers and at the, by the end of the year, they're both speaking terms from the other language. It's, uh-huh. you know, you're, you're building that, uh, the collaborative nature just by taking something that is already different between the two of them. Yeah. So just one other thing technology-wise I wanted to, uh, wanted to touch on. Um, depending on where you're at and what your uh, LMS, your learning management system is, um, you know, almost every teacher uses one. So uh, here, here in our district, we use Google Classroom uh, because we uh, use the Google Workspace. But it might be Schoology, it might be uh, Canvas. There's a variety of them out there. Blackboard. Blackboard's another one. Um, because all the information is stored there, some students, um, just like the student who comes in your class uh, back in the era of paper and had all their papers like so neatly organized in their folder, uh, they could quickly find what they need. And then the other students who came in with all their papers falling out of their mm-hmm. binder and never knew where anything was at. Well, when it comes to being able to find things in a, in a Google Classroom or in a learning management system, um, some students are better that, at that than others. And so a couple things that I've um, seen done in the past as I've looked at the way different teachers set up their, their Google Classrooms, one of them is that how are you going to name and identify assignments that you want kids to go to? Because if you bring up an assignment you want them to open or go to and there's some confusion as to what you're talking about, it can really slow down your flow in class. And so one of the things that I've seen some teachers have success with is regardless of how you group your assignments, if you give every assignment a number, uh, it's really easy to say, hey, I want you to open up assignment number one. And even taking that a step further, if you use a numbering system that has the, the quarter of the academic year and the assignment number, so for example, all of your assignments in the first quarter, you could use uh, 1.1, 1. 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3. And then it kind of gives you a fresh start in the second quarter, 2.1, 2.2, and so on. Uh, it makes it really easy if you say, hey, we're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Let's check out assignment 1.2. That's a lot easier than if I'm teaching science and I'm saying, hey, we, yesterday we were looking at the biogeochemical cycles of Earth and uh, the water cycle chart. You know, a lot of kids have a hard time processing that and then going back to what it is, you know, from the previous day. And so some of the kids who process information really quickly verbally are going to know what I'm talking about and have that open, and then they're sitting there waiting, while maybe some of the other kids, they, that kind of went over their head because they just can't process the information that fast. But if I can say, hey, we were on 1.2 yesterday, open that up, pretty much everybody can find that and get there relatively quickly. Uh, and the other thing, too, that I, I think is really nice is that if you can use visuals in your learning management system, that's a really a really nice thing for students just to make things easier to separate make it so it's not just words on a, instead of words on a page words on a screen you know google classroom i'll use as an example since that's what we have 
uh, a lot of people don't know, you can actually use the emoji keyboard in Google Classroom. So there's a lot of it, and that doesn't mean that it has to be like the winky emoji or the laughing face emoji, but there's a lot of them in there that can be really useful. For example, um, if you have like, there's a video camera icon in there. So anytime you post video content on your classroom, if you start with that video camera emoji, it gives a visual to the kids as to what they're going to find there. And it's easily relatable. I mean, that's how it's text talk. That's, that's how they communicate all the time. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, not only the video camera, but, uh, if you have, uh, let's say essay based or writing assignments and you pull out that little document, uh, emoji that looks like a paper, it just makes it a little bit more visual and it makes it a little easier for kids to find what they're looking for. And again, with technology, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to simplify the process of learning and make things uh, more efficient and easier for them to navigate so that most of their time in class is spent interacting with the content not and not trying to find yeah. it and figure out the device. Well, those are some of the main things technology-wise I wanted to touch on. And being at the beginning of a year, a lot of these are just going to be some basics about learning skills with the device uh, and making sure that the students are, are have a good understanding of how to use that device and how it's going to relate to their content. As we move on in future episodes, we'll talk more about some specifics uh, for specific content areas. But these are some good things to consider as far as getting started at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and, and same here. You know, I'm, I was really trying to encompass the idea of how do we start the year, get kids engaged. You know, we understand that it's school and, and students are already feeling a negative way a lot of the time. And, and how do we pull them in from the beginning and then continue that momentum throughout the school year? As we move forward, I would really like to take some of the strategies and great things I've seen throughout the district and, and have some of those guests come in and highlight those, those awesome works they've been doing uh, to show that you know it, there are a lot of positive things. There is a lot of success in what we're doing. Um, and sometimes we don't feel like we're reaping the rewards but, but, it, but we are, you know, we are, and there are a lot of great things that are occurring. Well, thanks for joining us on the Teaching in Tech podcast. We've really enjoyed this time together, and I uh, hope you did too. Uh, join us next time on the Teaching in Tech podcast with Alan and Chad for more inspiration and ideas to use in your classroom.